Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. What's up, Generations Church? Man, I'm so thankful that you're choosing to spend part of your Sunday morning on this Father's Day weekend with us. Man, if that video right there doesn't get your blood pumping, there's something wrong with you. It feels like a trailer to Gladiator 2 or something. But uh, man, I'm so thankful that you're here on this Sunday. And, and whether, you know, on Father's Day, you're, you're up and you're Adam and everybody in your house is Adam and, and they're cooking you your favorite lunch, dads, or uh, maybe you're making plans to go to the lake or the pool, or uh, you're going to do something fun together. Or maybe you're just going to carve out some time to watch some of the golf and you know what, that sounds like my wish list, but uh, no, whatever you're doing today, uh, let me just say happy Father's Day to you. And I also know on Father's Day that it comes with a lot of different emotions, right? Because some of you, you have incredible relationships with your earthly dad. And so for me to say, God, our heavenly father, you have no problem kind of putting the best characteristics of your earthly father on God. And so that, that makes sense to you. Others of you, there's brokenness and hurt in your past. And so when we talk about a heavenly father, it's kind of a broken image for you. And I would just say, like, don't allow the brokenness to rob you of seeing God in the way that he desires to be seen in your life. And he can real bring, really bring healing uh, into your, your understanding of fatherhood there. And I know some of you, maybe today your father has passed on. And so you're not able to call him or to see him or to celebrate with him. I would encourage you to just take some time today to reflect on the best characteristics of your dad Maybe think about some things that you did together and shared together so that, you know, maybe you can just be reminded of the joy that your father did bring you. And, and the promise today that God says he's close to the brokenhearted and he comforts those who grieve. And so we have the presence of God with us today. And here's what I want you to know if you are a dad today, whether it's your first Father's Day or your 50th Father's Day, let me just say how, how big an impact you can have on the spiritual life of your children and your grandchildren Uh, Statistics are overwhelming that even when mom is doing her very best to follow after Jesus and lead the kids or the grandkids in that way, man, when dads do that, they put a stake in the ground and they say, hey, I'm going this way and chasing after God. I'm in pursuit of him. Man, it's amazing how the family just follows suit. And so I would say lead your family in that way toward Jesus Christ with the best uh, best of your ability uh, as much as you possibly can. And so uh, thanks so much for spending part of your day with us. Hopefully you're doing that together there with your family. It's also an exciting day. You heard Pastor Trevor just a few minutes ago reference July the 12th. This last week, we were able to finally set a date uh, where we could be together in person. So a few more weeks away, but we're excited now that we have a date in mind and that we're planning and moving that direction. We told you about five or six weeks ago that we're in a unique situation in that we are not still closed to in-person gatherings uh, just because of the coronavirus and all of the restrictions and guidelines and recommendations, but we're also in a construction season. And so for us, we wanted to try to wait until our worship center downstairs was open because in the room that I'm in, the upstairs auditorium, uh, we would have to put so few people in here to really adhere to the guidelines that have been given to us as a church uh, that it would cause us to have to do six, seven, eight different services. And we just didn't feel like that was beneficial to you, to your family, or to our volunteers. And so in just a few weeks, we'll be completely ready to move into that new space. And so we're excited about that. We'll give you tons of information uh, in the days ahead about what that's going to look like. And let me just say to you, if you want to see the new space, uh, this coming Tuesday and Thursday night from 6 to 8 o'clock, you can register, go to g.church, and come for a facility tour, see the space. It's awesome. I cannot wait for you to see it. For those that have been giving and praying, uh, for you to see kind of the fruit of your labor, uh, it's, it's going to be awesome, and we, we'd love to invite you to come be a part of that. I'm also excited because today we kick off a brand new series 
called Suit Up. You saw a little bit of that just the last few minutes. But uh, Suit Up for us is a summer-long series looking at a study of the armor of God. And we draw that, that terminology from Ephesians chapter 6, which we're going to go to in just a few minutes. But for us as a staff here at the church, we spend the fall of every year looking ahead to the next year for the ministry calendar of what we believe God is leading us to, to offer as it relates to the sermons and the series. Um, now, that changes week to week. As I begin to prepare sermons, God sometimes redirects me to go a different direction. Uh, month to month, we may change the series that we're planning for the next month. But in September or October of every year, we lay out a 52-week plan for what the next year looks like. And so last fall, September, October, so we got together and prayerfully considered what we believe God was leading us to for 2020. Little did we know what 2020 was going to look like. And so as we uh, you know, laid it out on the calendar, we knew at that point that we believed God was leading us in the summer to look at the armor of God. Now, over the last few weeks and last few months, uh, we really believe, I really believe, I've said it the last few weeks, that, uh, that we're, we're, we're seeing some spiritual battles take place all around us. And as a part of that, we want to be equipped to participate in those battles. And so I just think it's, it's incredible to see what God has led us to in this season of time uh, and what we should consider from God's word over these next few weeks. So I'm excited. Uh, make plans to be with us every week online until July 12th. And beginning July 12th, we'll complete the series over those last few weeks of July and so that's going to be really exciting for us just to kind of dive into God's word. So we draw this terminology, the armor of God, from the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We've actually spent a ton of time in Ephesians over the last few months. It's a rich letter that the Apostle Paul was writing to the church and the people, the Christians, the followers of Christ. Uh, they're in Ephesus. And as a part of this letter, he, he lays out for them what it looks like to follow God and what it looks like for the church and for family and for community, what it looks like for parenting and for marriage. And, and there's so many great things that he lays out for them. And right here at the conclusion of Ephesians chapter 6, just before his closing prayer, his benediction, he lays out for them what it looks like to, to participate in spiritual warfare, spiritual battles. And so those may not be phrases that you hear a lot or that you understand a lot, but I think that's what's going to be so great about these next few weeks. Let's look at this in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I told you again, I love Ephesians. I love so much about what the Apostle Paul has written here in this letter. And as he's concluding, he wants us to know what it is that will help us to find victory. And I love what he says. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. He doesn't say be strong in you. He doesn't say, Jeremy, be strong in you. He doesn't say be strong in your own power. I got to admit, sometimes you know, when I'm on the softball field or, or I'm on the golf course, I think about my ability, my power. And so I think I'm, I'm stronger than I actually am because I remember in my mind being a little stronger, being a little younger. And so sometimes I can convince myself if I'm not careful that I'm strong enough to face all of the things going on around me in my life. But what the Apostle Paul wanted us to know is that for us to find victory in our lives, we have to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Our strength is actually found in God. And we can be strong in him even when we feel weak. And then he tells us to put on the armor of God so that we can stand up against the enemy. And when you put these two ideas together, it reveals so much. We can't stand against the enemy in our own power or our own strength, in our own armor or in our own weapons. To stand against him, we must stand in the power of God 
and in the armor of God. And that's what he says there in verse 12. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, when I read that, I recognize for some of us, because that's not terminology we use on a regular basis, it may sound scary. It may sound a little weird to us. We're like, what does that mean? Spiritual forces, dark forces, sounds like some kind of movie that we're watching or some kind of comic strip. And so we're trying to figure out, like, what does that actually look like? But you and I are living on the earth today. When, when we were born, we joined into this eternal story, this eternal battle of good versus evil and righteousness versus unrighteousness. I was doing some study this week, and I was reminded of a, of a quote that I had heard before, but I'd only heard it kind of paraphrased. I wasn't sure what the full quote was, and so I went and did some research. It's from a French philosopher and a Jesuit priest. His name is Pierre Chardin. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. He's French, so in, in Cherokee County, we might call it Chardin. But uh, Pierre Chardin, he said this, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. We, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spirit beings having a human experience right now. And if we recognize that, if we can grasp hold of that, what it helps us to understand is that the enemy that we fight is not always what we see right in front of us. The evil that is in the world is not always just what we see with our natural eyes. There is a spiritual battle being waged in the heavenlies, and when we realize that, it allows us to understand things so much better. We can recognize who our true enemy is. It may not be the person that's standing right in front of you because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against the person that's standing right there. We're wrestling against some spiritual things that are taking place in the world right now because of the condition and the sinfulness of the world. The enemy is working overtime, including right now, to try to destroy us. He, he's roaming about seeking whom he can kill, steal from, destroy their lives, destroy their families, destroy their marriages. And we see him working overtime right now. But as we, as we talk about this spiritual battle, as we talk about good versus evil, I want to make sure that you understand something. You know, when I think about good battles, I think about, again, movie scenes. I think about sporting contests. When I think about my favorite football teams or basketball teams, when I think about one player facing off against another player or one team facing off against another team, I'm thinking about these incredible battles. I think about military things when they're, when they're going to battle a nation against nation, army against army. I think about those battles. But in the midst of those battles, we don't know who's going to win. When I'm watching my team play in a game... And in live sporting events, which there there have not been enough of those over the last few weeks and months, right? Can I get an amen from somebody right there? There's not been a, enough of those. As I'm watching live sports, I don't know how it's going to turn out. And so I'm nervous. I'm up on the edge of my seat. In our household, what that looks like is as the game is on the line, if our football team is driving for a closing touchdown or field goal, if our, if our team has the ball with a few seconds left to take the final shot, we are not sitting down. We are standing up in our living room, facing the television, yelling at them as if they can hear us, and we're giving them the play that they should run or what they should do because we're nervous. We want to know what's going to happen because we don't. When I watch the replay, I'm not nearly as nervous because I know how the game turned out. But when I talk about this battle of good versus evil, I want you to understand something. We already know who wins in the end. If you open your Bible and you flip all the way to the end of this book, you can go to the very end of the book of Revelation 
And you see through, through the prophetic writings of John on the Isle of Patmos, through the words of God that are given to us to understand the things that are to come, even those things that may be a little bit confusing, when you get to the very end of the story, you recognize that in the end, God wins. And so the ultimate victory belongs to the Lord, but in those moments where you are in a battle for your marriage, a battle for your kids, a battle for your character and your integrity, it, it feels very real And sometimes even knowing that God wins in the end, we feel like we're losing in the moment. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my brother and I used to watch wrestling. Now, I'm not talking about like Olympic wrestling, college wrestling, high school wrestling. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like WWF wrestling. Now, please don't judge me too harshly there. But our neighbor, an older gentleman, he bought all the pay-per-view events of wrestling. And so my brother and I, my parents let us go over and watch with him. And, and so we would reenact it in our rooms. I mean, it was like Royal Rumble in our bedroom. We would jump off the top of the bed and act like we were going to land on each other. And we laid pillows all over, you know, the room to try to help us not get hurt. And I remember as a child hearing my parents and other adults talk about how fake wrestling was. And they used to talk, it used to hurt my feelings. I was like, man, it doesn't look fake. It looks real. Those guys, they climb up about three feet off that mat, and they're up on the top of that turnstile, and they jump another two, three, four feet in the air, and they're coming down from seven, eight feet in the air to land on somebody. That looks real to me. That doesn't look fake. I see them pick a guy up and body slam him. That looks real to me. I don't know if they were using fake chairs or not, but they hit each other with chairs over the head. That looked real to me. It didn't look fake. And a few years ago, I heard Pastor Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He talked about wrestling, and he reframed the entire thing in, in, a, in a conversation, in a sermon that he had that helped me to understand something in greater measure. He said, you know, in wrestling, it's not fake. They're really hitting one another. They're really body slamming one another. It's not fake. It's fixed. At the beginning of the match, they know who's going to win. So they say, hey, you're going to win in this one. So we'll do these things, these moves. We'll do a few things. And they compete against one another. It's not fake. It's very real. But they already know who the outcome. It's, it's fixed. Who's going to win? That's very much the same thing as we talk about this spiritual battle that's taking place. It's not fake. It's very real. What you're walking through right now, the spiritual battles of your life, they are very, very real. But this battle... This war that we are in, it is fixed because in the end, God wins. And if we recognize that, if we hold to that truth, if we hold to that reality, it helps us to understand that ultimate victory comes from being in relationship with God, being on the side with God. The ultimate victory is the Lord's. But these individual battles that we're fighting right now require us to seek victory through the means that God has given to us to find victory in each of these circumstances. So how do we find victory? Well, according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, we can stand firm, we can discover victory and find victory in these battles by taking on the full armor of God. I want to read the larger context of Ephesians chapter 6 here. We've already read the first few verses, and I want to continue reading, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, 
with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Here's what I want you to hold on to. You can't fight spiritual battles with natural weapons. Spiritual battles are won with spiritual weapons. You can't fight spiritual battles with natural weapons. Spiritual battles that we're fighting are won with spiritual weapons. You you can't have enough self-help techniques. You can't try to do better and be better. We just have to recognize that our own efforts are not enough We don't stand firm in our own power and in our own ability and in our own armor with our own weapons. We must put on the full armor of God. Spiritual battles are won with spiritual weapons. One time Jesus came back to the disciples after the Mount of Transfiguration and there was a father who came to them with this demon-possessed son and he said, hey, I've, I've tried to have the disciples cast out this demon from my child, but they couldn't do it. And so Jesus cast the demon out of this boy. And after he's done so in John chapter 17, verse 20, the disciples come to him and they say, why couldn't we do it? And he said to them, this kind can only be done through prayer and fasting. This kind, this work, this spiritual battle can only be done through prayer and and fasting. There are moments in my life when I know that I have felt your prayers and prayers of others, and they've been interceding for me. What we believe about intercessory prayer is that you're praying on behalf of someone else who's not even there in your presence, perhaps, and you're petitioning God on their behalf. And some of you have told the stories. You've said things to me like, I, I wouldn't even be here I wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for the prayers of my mom or my dad or my grandmother. This little old lady in the church where I grew up, they they were interceding for me. They were petitioning God on my behalf. It's prayer. It's fasting. It's it's breaking strongholds in our lives. And a couple of times a year, I, I, I go back to fasting just to say, God, there's nothing in my life that's more important than you. And I know some of you, you participate when we do 21 days of prayer and fasting in January every year. And I encourage you, as you even think about what that's going to look like in the year ahead, or maybe, maybe you think, you know, it's not January yet, but I want to do some fasting this summer or this fall. I encourage you, make it something that would really break some strongholds in your life. You know, some of us, I've heard you make the jokes, you know, in January when we do fast, you're like, you know, I don't, I don't eat beets, but I'm going to fast beets. I'm going to give that up for God, you know? And no, I encourage you, give up something that you believe God is asking you to give up that would be a challenge for you. Because it does a couple things. One, it honors God. Two, it shows you that nothing has control of your life. And three, I believe that it shows the enemy that you're trusting God for provision. You're trusting God for strength. You're trusting God with every facet of your life. Some of the things that we're facing can only be broken. They can only happen as we fight these spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. Some of these things can only be done through prayer and fasting, and they happen as we hold to God's word, as we seek truth from him. So to finish our time today, I want us to look at this first piece of the armor of God that's listed there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. How can we stand firm? But we stand firm, it says, with the belt of truth buckled around our waist. I think about what a belt is, 
right? You, you wear a belt, maybe for a couple of reasons. Maybe you wear it as a fashion accessory. Maybe it, it has a big belt buckle on or it's the right color or the right material and it, it complements what you're wearing perhaps. And so you wear that. But for the most part, you wear a belt to hold your pants up or you, you, you wear it to be able to tuck your shirt in. Or what, and so it's centered in your body. Now, some people, they're, they're long-waisted or they're long-legged. And so it might not be right in the middle. I remember when I was a kid, I remember my parents or, or maybe some other adults at that time, they were talking about somebody that we knew and we loved, and they, they made this reference to, to a disease that he had. And, I, and I'd never, never heard of this disease, and, and I'm just preparing you in about 12 seconds. You need to laugh because this is funny. But he was, he was there, and they were talking about this disease that he had, and I said, well, what does he have? They said, well, he has Dunlap disease. I was like, what, what is Dunlap disease? They said his belly's Dunlapped over his belt. And, and that was hilarious to me. And maybe you know some folks with Dunlap disease. And you need to pray for them and ask God to deliver them. But, you know, whatever it is, you wear a belt kind of in the center of your body to do something specific that you're trying to accomplish with that belt. It's centered. It's central to who you are. Well, when I think about that, I recognize that the, in, uh, the imagery here that the Apostle Paul gives to us is that the belt of truth needs to be central He could have given the truth any place in our bodies, any place in the armor, but he said truth needs to be central to who you are. It needs to to kind of hold you together in the middle of your being. And so often, when we think about truth, we don't seek truth, we don't speak truth, we don't live truth, we are not guided by the truth, we are actually guided by a lot of other things. Our lives are centered on any number of things. The latest book that we read, the latest podcast that we listen to, the latest article that's linked on someone's social media that's in our feed. And so we click on it and we we go, okay, that must be truth. And that must be what I need to adhere to. And that must be what I need to believe. And, And so what happens is that our lives are not grounded in the truth of God's word and in the truth of what we know to be true for eternity And so we just go back and forth and to and fro because of all the things that are happening around us. Our lives are unstable because our truth is unstable. So what is truth? What is the Apostle Paul talking about here? Now, the word that he uses for truth in this passage in Ephesians chapter 6 is the same word that's used 110 times in 98 verses of Scripture in other places in the New Testament, from Matthew all the way to the book of 3 John. And when we see this word play out, it's a lot of times pointing to God himself, Jesus, as he was on the earth, or specifically back to God's word. We're talking about truth. Here's a few examples of some of those places. In Matthew chapter 22, they were speaking to Jesus and they said, we know you're a man of integrity and you aren't swayed by other people. You just speak the truth. Truth is not circumstantial. Truth is not contextualized. Truth doesn't change depending on which room you're in and which group of people you're with. Truth is truth. And they admired that about Jesus, that he just spoke the truth. He was able to do that because in John chapter 1, it says about Jesus that he came full of grace and full of truth. He embodied truth. He was 100% grace and 100% truth. And that embodiment of what truth was allowed him to say about himself in John 14, 6, He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He declared himself to be truth, capital T, not lowercase t that's wishy-washy and changes at the drop of a hat with the latest and greatest thing. He says, no, 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 I am truth. I am how you get to God. I am the way. And I am life 
because I am truth. So we center our lives on the truth of Jesus Christ and his identity and his word, which we're going to talk about more in the weeks ahead. But I encourage you to chase after truth by chasing after Jesus. So what does that look like for us? How do we find that? I want to go to one last passage of scripture here, one last story that I believe will help us to see what truth really looks like in our lives. It's found in Matthew chapter 3, and it comes in the story of the baptism of Jesus. Jesus came to John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, and he says, I want you to baptize me. Now, John had been baptizing other people along the way there, and as he's been baptizing these others, he's saying, hey, I baptize you in water, but there comes another who's, I'm not even worthy to hold his sandals, and Jesus said, but I'm coming to you. I want to be baptized, and so John baptizes him there in the river. And as he does, as he's coming up out of the water, there's this amazing picture of the Trinity. I encourage you to go read it. You can see it there in Matthew chapter three. You can see it in Mark chapter one. And in this picture, you see Jesus, the son of God coming up out of the water. You see a dove descend from the heaven, which is the the representation, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And you, you hear the voice of God, the father, this incredible picture of the Trinity all there in one place. And in that moment, God's voice proclaims over that baptism moment about Jesus coming up out of the water. This is my son, who I love and in whom I am well pleased. This is my son, who I love, and in him I am well pleased. Now, there's a couple of amazing things that are taking place right here, but let me just pause for a second and remind us that Jesus had not started his public ministry yet. This was at the very beginning. He, he, was, he was before the three years of healing and, and miracles and teaching. He hadn't preached his first sermon. He hadn't healed his first person. And so before all of that takes place, we see God declare these things about him. And can I just say to you fathers that are watching right now, maybe listening right now, there's a lot of things that you can give your kids. There's a lot of things that you can do for your kids. You can buy them a lot of things. You can leave them a trust fund. You can take them on a lot of vacations and trips. They can play for the very best sports teams. And I try to do so many of those things for my own kids. They're all great. None of them are evil in themselves. But if we could do these three things right here that we see from God the Father, it would change the trajectory of our children's lives. I really believe it. God said to Jesus, this is my son. He gave his identity to his son. He said, whom I love. He gave his affection. And he said, in whom I am well pleased. He gave his affirmation. He said to Jesus, listen, I want you to know that you're my son, I love you, and I am pleased with you before you do anything to earn my affection or my affirmation. If we can do that for our kids, you say, hey, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're mine, you belong to me, and I love you unconditionally before you can do anything to earn it. I just love you, and I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased because of who you are, not because of what you do. And how powerful would that be in the lives of our children? And the reason that it's so important here in Matthew chapter 3 is because Matthew chapter 4 comes next and something incredible happens in Matthew chapter 4. After the baptism of Jesus, we see the temptation of Jesus. Scripture tells us that he was led into the wilderness and the enemy comes to him to tempt him. And he tempts him in several different ways. And maybe you've heard sermons and you've read it for yourself and there's a lot of different things. But I want you not to miss what's happening right here in Matthew chapter 4 that connects perfectly to Matthew chapter 3. And as the enemy is trying to tempt Jesus, he does it in three specific ways. He says, hey, you need to do something to prove that you are who you say you are. 
You need to call down from heaven. You need to go out and do something in the city. You need to, you need to capture. No, no, no. But God had just told him that he didn't have to do anything because he was already accepted, because he was already loved. God had already called him his son. But did you notice in Matthew chapter 4, have you ever noticed that two of the temptations, two of the times that the enemy comes against him, he questions what God had declared in Matthew chapter 3. He says, if you are the son of God, if you are, he, he, he's causing a question, if you are. But God in Matthew chapter 3, the voice of God at the baptism moment said, you are my son. What happens when we are not centered in truth, when we are not centered in the word of God and the truth of Jesus Christ, is that we begin to question everything in our lives. And God is not intimidated by your questions. You can ask God anything. But what happens is when we don't know the truth and when we don't go back to God's word to find truth, the enemy begins to distort truth in our minds. If you are, if you do, That's what he did to Adam and Eve. The serpent said, did God really say? He's questioning the truth of God. That's why it's so powerful what I believe the apostle Paul starts with here in Ephesians chapter six. He says, you wanna stand firm against the enemy and the schemes of the enemy? Then you've got to be centered in truth. There's so many things that you could do. You could try to do a lot of things to try to combat the enemy, but you've got to start by being centered in the truth. The Psalms tells us, how can a young man stay pure? How can a young woman stay pure? By hiding God's word in their heart. It combats the enemy. As we stand against the enemy to say, I am centered in the word of God. I have the belt of truth. I am his son, I am his daughter, he loves me, he is pleased with me, not because of what I can do for him, but because of who I am in him. That is the belt of truth. So that when the enemy comes against you and starts to question, did God really say? If you are, if you do, you can stand firm, Ephesians 6 tells us. Stand firm, putting on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you can stand firm. He repeats it three times, stand firm. And as you stand firm, you put on the belt of truth to know who you are and to know whose you are. Spiritual battles have to be won with spiritual weapons, but standing firm isn't possible when you aren't centered by the truth. It's impossible to stand firm when you aren't centered by the truth. When you don't know the truth, everything is questionable. But when you know the truth, you can stand firm. Jesus said to the devil, I've got nothing to prove to you. My father has already declared who I am. I know the truth because my dad just told me. So what is the truth that's guiding your life today? Is your life centered with the belt of truth? Say, God, I want to hunger for your word. I want to spend time in your presence. I want you to speak into my heart and speak into my life to give me identity and affection and affirmation. Dads, lead the way in this. Don't give your children a reason to go seek it somewhere else. Help them to know who they are in Christ. So I'm going to ask you right where you're at, just to bow your head, close your eyes this morning.
and just ask God in this moment to help you just to reflect on what he's speaking into you, what he's doing in your life right now. Nobody's looking around where you're at. I'm asking everybody from the youngest to the oldest, just close your eyes and bow your head just for a moment. And you would say, hey, I I need to know right now that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I, I don't think I am a son and daughter of God. And I need him to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life from this moment forward. If that's you, would you just let us know? Would you just respond in a personal way? Just lift your hand right where you're at. Maybe you click the link that's there in the chat. And just let us know so we can follow up and help you to take some next steps into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But in the moment that you acknowledge it, he saves you right then. Your eternity is changed forever. We believe generations of your family can be changed forever because of the decision that you're making right now. Maybe today you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I just want to be centered in truth. I don't want to sway back and forth. I don't want to be wishy-washy. I want to I know God's word. I want to have a hunger for his word. I want to ingest it. I want it to be the breath of my life. And I want truth to center everything that I am. If that's you, would you just respond right now? Just, just lift your hand or type it into the chat. Let us know so we can pray for you and follow up with you and help you to take these next steps together. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can come by the church. You can, we'll, we'll mail you one. Whatever it takes, we want to get that into your hands today. We'd love to help you take that next step. God, I thank you now for all that's been said and all that's been done. I thank you for our times of worship and prayer and your word as we start this new series. I thank you for Fathers on Father's Day. And God, I pray now for those who've acknowledged their need for you. I pray now, God, that you would help them to just accept you, the free gift of salvation that was completed on the cross through Jesus Christ. God, we rebuke the enemy and all the tactics of the enemy to cause them to question what you're doing right now. We believe that they can stand firm in you because of what you promise us. And so God, we celebrate with heaven for those that are making that decision right now. Help us to walk this journey with them as they let us know of this step that they're taking. God, I pray now for those who say, I just want to be centered in the truth. I don't want to sway back and forth. I don't want to be unstable in all of my ways. I I want to be centered and grounded in the truth of God's word. God, give us a hunger and a passion to read your word like never before. God, as we read it, would we apply it? Would we gain wisdom and knowledge and understanding? God, we thank you for that. And I pray that over the next few weeks, that you would help us to understand that we are fighting in a spiritual battle and that spiritual battles are won with spiritual weapons. So God, help us to take on the full armor of God so that we can stand firm. Thank you that you've already won and help us to claim that victory over our lives as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.